In this episode, I want to look at the void of emptiness, the nothing, the zero, the journey of how humans stumbled across nothing, used it in maths, and then used it to develop science and understand the universe. This is the story of nothing. It starts with meditation. Meditation is an activity or a practice with the objective to train attention and awareness to achieve a mentally clear and emotionally calm and stable state of being. The origins of meditation lie in Vedic traditions, i.e. Hinduism, though for the most part this is generally an agnostic practice even within Hindu traditions. The earliest records of meditation or dhyan is found in the ancient Hindu texts known as the Vedas, thus Vedic traditions. Meditation plays a noteworthy role in the introspective collection of Hinduism and then later Buddhist and Jain traditions. Since the 19th century, these Indian meditative techniques spread to other cultures where they have also found application in generally non-spiritual contexts, such as business and health. Often, this is called mindfulness. Mindfulness has become one of the most popular pastimes of the recent past, and remains so here in mid-2021, and it's certainly among the fashionable and affluent. This mindfulness is the belief that your mind should be in what is considered the current moment. It's a somewhat corporate way of saying, um, go meditate because it helps you focus, and as a lovely side effect, it makes you a more productive employee. Back in Hinduism, dhyan refers to meditation and introspection. Dhyan is taken up in yoga exercises and is a means to yogic consciousness and self-knowledge. It is, in Hinduism, as part of their self-directed awareness and unifying yoga process by which a yogi or a guru realizes one's own self, i.e. the Atman or the soul one's relationship with other living beings, and ultimate reality. Yes, it is quite a tall order. Dhyan is of course also found in other Indian traditions such as Buddhism and Jainism. These developed Dhyan in their own right without Hinduism independently, but partly influencing each other as well because they coexisted. Meditation in Jainism aims at realizing the self, attaining salvation, and taking the soul to complete freedom. It aims to teach, i.e. reach, and to remain in the pure state of soul, which is believed to be pure consciousness beyond any attachment or aversion. Buddhists pursue meditation as part of the path towards awakening and nirvana. Buddhist meditation techniques have become popular in the wider world, with many non-Buddhists taking them up. There is considerable homogeneity across meditative practices, 
such as breath meditation and various recollections, across Buddhist schools as well as significant diversity. The Buddha himself identified two paramount mental qualities that arise from beneficial meditative practice. One, serenity or tranquility, also known as samatha, tranquility of the mind, or it could also be called mind calmness. Secondly, insight or vipassana, a form of meditation that seeks insight into the true nature of reality. Meditation is a practice or an activity to attain a calm mind and to best understand reality. It isn't just these three traditions that have meditations. Famously, the Roman emperor Marcus Aurelius wrote a book by that very name called Meditations. Marcus came up with amazing lines such as, and I quote, Our life is what our thoughts make it, end quote. And he came up with, quote, the happiness of your life depends upon the quality of your thoughts, end quote. All, of course, he did that while on military campaigns defending or expanding the Roman Empire. Outside of these traditions, later religious beliefs have the concept of mantras or chants and holy places of worship, the idea of God worship in of itself, that physical and mental activity, well, at least to me, is the closest thing to Indian-style meditation, only it is packaged into the religious pressure cooker of ritual God worship. Going back to the Vedic traditions, the idea of meditation technically calms the mind, and it technically helps you understand the true nature of reality, the self. Well, what about the opposite of the self? The doctrine of the non-self, that there is no unchanging, no permanent self, soul, or essence in phenomena. Well, the Buddhist concept of Atman is one of the fundamental differences between mainstream Buddhism and mainstream Hinduism, with the Hindus asserting that Atman, the soul, exists. The contextual use of Atman is two-sided. In one, it directly denies that there is anything called a self or soul in a human being that is a permanent essence of a human being, a theme found in Brahmanical, i.e. ancient Hindu traditions. Atman, non-self, no endearing soul or essence, is the nature of all things, and this is the one of the three marks of existence in Buddhism, along with nothing loss and suffering. Unsatisfactoriness is innate in birth, aging, death, rebirth, redeath, the samarsa or the cycle of existence. In Triveda Buddhism, sunya often refers to the non-self. Sunya is also often used to refer to a meditative state or experience. In Mahayana Buddhism, Sunya refers to a tenet that all things are empty of intrinsic existence and nature, but may also refer to the Buddha nature teachings and primordial or empty awareness. Devoidness, emptiness, hollow, hollowness, voidness is how you could define Sunya. The monk Anand, who was also Buddha's attendant, asked, 
It is said that the world is empty. The world is empty, Lord. In what respect is it said that the world is empty? The Buddha replied, Insofar as it is empty of a self or of anything pertaining to a self, thus it is said, Anand, that the world is empty. Many of the early Buddhist schools featured Sunya as an important part of their teachings. In Hinduism, one fundamental philosophical doctrine known as the Advaita Vedanta philosopher Gaurapad believed that the Absolute is not subject to birth, change and death. The Absolute is Aj, the unborn eternal. The empirical world of appearances is considered unreal and non-existent. The concept, by the way, is also found in Buddhism as the theory of non-origination. Sunya, by the way, also appears in ancient Shaivism beliefs. Here's a quote. The yogi should concentrate intensely on the idea and feel that this universe is totally void. In that void, his mind would become absorbed. Then he becomes highly qualified for absorption, i.e. his mind is absorbed in the absolute void. End quote. It is in this environment, during the Gupta Empire, covering much of India, in the 5th century AD, that the written form of that empty, that nothing, that void, came to being. And that was in the shape of the round or oval O zero sign, what we know today as the number zero. The form of numerals in Emperor Ashoka's inscriptions at the earlier Brahmini script around the middle or the 3rd century BCE, involved separate signs for the numbers 1 to 9, 10 to 90, 100 to 1000. A multiple of 100 or 1000 was represented by some kind of modification. The Lok Vibhagna, a Jain cosmological text, originally composed in Prakrit by a monk, monk Sarvanadi, survived in the later Sanskrit translation it is the oldest known Indian source to use zero, nothing, as a number. The Pakshali manuscript is an ancient Indian mathematical text written on birch bark. It is perhaps the oldest manuscript in Indian mathematics. The manuscript contains the earliest known Indian use of zero as a symbol around 300 AD a symbol for zero, a large dot likely to be the precursor of the still current hollow symbol it is used throughout that manuscript. Aryabhat was the first of the major mathematician astronomers from the classical age of Indian mathematics and Indian astronomy. He was also an early physicist. His works include what was called the Aryabhat. That document is a book of mathematics and astronomy that has been extensively referred to in Indian mathematical literature and has, of course, survived to modern times. 
The place value system, first seen in the 3rd century manuscript, was clearly in place in his work. While he did not use a symbol for zero, the French mathematician George Ifra argues that the knowledge of zero was implicit in Aryabhat's place value system as a placeholder for the powers of 10 with null, null coefficients. In 628 CE, astronomer-mathematician Brahmagupta wrote a text which contained the first mathematical treatment of zero. He defined zero as a result of subtracting a number from itself, postulated negative numbers and discussed their properties under arithmetical operations. His word for zero was shunya or void, the word we were using earlier for Buddhist meditation. This provided a new perspective on the shunya bindu as innumeral and paved the way for the eventual evolution of zero as a digit. The dot continued to be used for at least a hundred years afterwards and transmitted to Southeast Asia and Arabia. Kashmir's script at the time retained the dot for the zero and it does so to this day. Servus Sakput was a Syrian scholar and bishop who was born in Nisbis, out in Syria, around 575 AD. He died in 667 AD. He was perhaps the first Syrian to mention the Indian number system and probably the first non-Indian witness to the Indian numeral system. Much later, Al-Khatifi, a 12th century Arab historian, wrote, and I quote, A person from India presented himself before the Caliph Al-Mansur in the year 776 AD, who was well-versed in the Siddhartha method of calculation related to the movement of the heavenly bodies and having ways of calculating equations based on the half-chord, essentially the sign, calculated in half degrees. This is all contained in a work from which he claimed to have taken the half-chord calculated for one minute. Al-Mansur ordered this book to be translated into Arabic and a work to be written based on the translation to give the Arabs a solid base for calculating the movements of the planets. End quote. The work was most likely to have been Brahmagupta's script, i.e. what he called the opening of the universe, which was written in 628 AD. Muhammad bin Musa al-Khawazmi was a Persian polymath. Al-Khawazmi work was based on Persian and Babylonian astronomy, Indian numbers, and Greek mathematics. He wrote the book on the calculations with Hindu numerals, and it was written in about 820 AD. This was the primary book that pushed the Hindu-Indian numeral system, including the zero, throughout the Middle East and then onto Europe. This Indian numeral system, often referenced to as the Hindu-Arabic numeral system, reached Europe by the 11th century via Al-Andalus, or Muslim Spain, together with knowledge of astronomy. So, for this reason, the numerals were called, in Europe, Arabic numerals. Because it was the Arabs that pushed the Indian numeral system into Europe, who then 
pushed it out to the colonies and worldwide empires. The term Arabic numeral system is often referred to by Western historians to refer to the numeral system. Some later European historians then began calling it the Hindu Arabic numeral system. However, the Arabs themselves placed credit directly to the Indian mathematicians and called it the Indian mathematical system. The Italian mathematician Febocini was instrumental in bringing the system into European mathematics in 1202. He said, and I quote, There, following my introduction, as a consequence of marvellous instruction in the art to the nine digits of the Hindus, the knowledge of the art very much appealed to me before all others. And for it, I realised that all aspects were studied in Egypt, Syria, Greece, Sicily and Provence with their varying methods. And that these places thereafter, while on business, I pursued my study in depth and learned the give and take of disputation. But all this, even as the algorithm, as well as the art of Pythagoras, I considered as almost a mistake in respect to the method of the Hindus. Therefore, embracing more stringently that method of the Hindus and taking stricter pains in its study, while adding certain things from my own understanding and inserting also certain things from the niceties of geometric art, I have striven to compose this book in its entirety as understandably as I could, dividing it into 15 chapters. Almost everything which I have introduced I have displayed with exact proof in order that these further seeking this knowledge with its preeminent method might be instructed and further in order that the Latin people might not be discovered without it, as, be as they have been up to now. If I have perchance omitted anything, more or less proper or necessary, I beg indulgence, since there is no one who is blameless and utterly provident in all things. The nine Indian figures are 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. With these nine figures and with the sign 0, any number may be written. 0 is the number immediately preceding 1. End quote. Zero is neither positive or negative, or both positive and negative. Many definitions include zero as a natural number or a neutral number, in which case it is only natural that this is not positive. Zero is a number which quantifies a count or an amount of null size. In most cultures, zero was identified before the idea of negative things, i.e. quantities less than zero. In physics, the value of zero acts as a measure of physical quantities, such as zero-point energy, zero in temperature, etc. While in chemistry, as early as 1926, Andreas von Antropov coined the term neutrium for a conjecture form of matter made up of neutrons with no protons, which he placed as the chemical element of atomic number zero at the head of his new vision of the periodic table. It was subsequently placed as a noble gas in the middle of several spiral representations of the periodic system for classifying chemical elements. While in computer programming, by the way, before computer programming, the most common practice throughout human history had been to start counting at one, 
In computer programming, the practice started at the count of one in early classic computer programming in languages such as Fortran and COBOL. However, in the late 1950s, LISP introduced zero-based numbering for a wide variety, while AGOL 58 introduced completely flexible basing for subscripts, allowing any positive, negative, or zero as a base for subscripts. And most subsequent programming languages adopted one or other of these positions. Zero is the value of false in many programming languages. And most importantly of all, for historians, measuring years and dates becomes a perplexing task without the zero. But zero is the mathematical calculation for nothing, the non-existent, the void. All the computers, quantum processors, rockets, just about anything has the concept of nothing, emptiness, and the void built right into it. Our advancement in science and evolution hinges on our use of zero by default. Nothing is part of the equation. So what is this nothingness, this non-self? Is this English translation of the void nothing misleading? Is actually nothing something? Well, the word vacuum has been a frequent topic of philosophical debate since ancient Greek times. A vacuum is a space devoid of matter. Is that nothing? Well, ancient Greek philosophers debated the existence of a vacuum or void in the context of atomism, which suggested void and atom as the fundamental explanatory elements of physics. Following Plato, even the abstract concept of a featureless void faced considerable skepticism. It could not be apprehended by the senses. It could not itself provide additional explanatory power beyond the physical volume with which it was, and by definition, it was literally nothing at all, which cannot rightly be said to exist. Aristotle believed that no void could occur naturally because the dense of the surrounding material continuum would immediately fill any rarity that might give rise to a void. Later on in the future, vacuum was a valuable industrial tool, especially in the 20th century. With the introduction of light bulbs and vacuum tubes, the development of human spaceflight has raised interest in the impact of vacuum on human health and on life forms in general. It is hoped that this could lead to better understanding of space. But it's vacuum, it's still, we're still trying to understand it. Is it nothing? But what on earth, or even off earth, then is space? Outer space is not completely empty. It is a hard vacuum containing a low density of particles, predominantly a plasma of hydrogen and helium, as well as electromagnetic radiation, magnetic fields, neutrons, dust, and cosmic rays. The baseline temperature of space, as set by the background radiation of the Big Bang, technically, at what they say, is 2.7 kelvins, which is minus 270 degrees Celsius, 
454 degrees Fahrenheit minus 454 degrees Fahrenheit. Dark matter is believed to be a form of matter thought to account for approximately 85% of the whole matter in the universe and about 27% of its total mass energy density. Its presence is implied in a variety of astrophysical observations, including gravitational effects that cannot be explained by accepted theories of gravity unless more matter is present than can be seen. For this reason, most experts think that dark matter is abundant in the universe and that it has a strong influence on its structure and evolution. Dark matter is called dark because it does not appear to interact with the electromagnetic field, which means it does not absorb, reflect or emit electromagnetic radiation and is therefore difficult to detect. Primary evidence for dark matter comes from calculations showing that many galaxies would fly apart or that they would not have formed or would not move as they do if they did not contain a large amount of unseen matter. A Mr. William Thompson, the first Baron Kelvin, a British mathematician, mathematical physicist and engineer at the University of Glasgow, he did important work in the mathematical analysis of electricity and formulation of the first and second laws of thermodynamics. The measuring term Kelvin, by the way, is used in his honour. Kelvin concluded that many of our stars, perhaps a great majority of them, may be dark bodies. In 1906, Henry Poincaré, in the Milky Way and Theory of Gases book, used dark matter, or matter obscure in French, in discussing Kelvin's work. The first to suggest the existence of dark matter using stellar velocities was a Dutch astronomer, Jacob Captain in 1922. Vera Rubin, Kent Ford and Ken Freeman's work in the 1960s and 1970s provided further compelling evidence, also using galaxy rotation curves. A stream of observations in the 1980s supported the presence of dark matter, including gravitational lensing of background objects by galaxy clusters. Nothing. Is nothing something or is nothing nothing? Is it so profound that most of the universe is nothing? A vacuum? Can't we even do basic calculations and advance the species without using the equation for nothing, the zero? Since we are all minuscule space dust in the supposed vastness of the universe, maybe we can ask ourselves what nothing is, or at least answer the question is nothing something or is nothing nothing? I want us together, you and me, to experience nothing. This will be for a total of 20 seconds, all audio void silence. This isn't meditation. All you'll hear is nothing for 20 seconds. Let's go. What happened? Your mind, 
Was it silent? Did suddenly noise from the universe fade away? No, right? That nothing had a little something. At least it did for me. Even the void in space and during a meditation session is something. Yogic meditation can quiet the mind and then maybe we can experience nothing. Or maybe not. Maybe you experience something else that may seem like nothing. What seems obvious, though, is that our understanding of nothing seems to be in its infancy. As science invariably focuses on something, they forget the nothing. Maybe science is looking in the wrong place. It could be that nothing is an innate part of our universe and our being. Zero is a representation of that in written form. Think about it. Without the zero, the symbol of nothing, we would not even be able to run computers, let alone go into space and develop magical medicines. Maybe we can't fathom nothing, because if we did, our human brains would not be able to function. We wouldn't be able to survive. Next time someone asks you how your weekend went, tell them you did nothing. You have been listening to an Alternative History Podcast. Please like, subscribe, follow and comment on your podcast platform of choice. And if you like the podcast, please, please recommend it to a friend. Thank you so much.